Hey, St. Paul, welcome to episode three on our study on Brennan Manning's book, The Ragamuffin Gospel. Tommy Bridges and I are walking through this alongside of you, and we thank you for joining us, whether it's through iTunes, whether it's through Spotify, uh, Stitcher, Amazon, or from our website. Thank you for joining us today. Tommy, good morning. Good morning to you, John. What a wonderful day it is to gather together and once again take a look at a new perspective of Brendan Manning's book, The uh, Ragamuffin Gospel. Can you bring us up to speed a little bit on on where we are and where how we've gotten to where we are today? Yes, John. It is interesting to note that one of the core concepts of the first uh, two chapters was the emphasis on we are accepted just as we are. We do not have to make ourselves up. We don't have to do anything. The only thing we can do is present ourselves to to Jesus as we are. And we're loved, we're accepted, just like we are. And he really bears down on the idea of we're all God's children and we're all accepted by the grace of God. And we don't have to earn that. We don't have to go to church every Sunday. We don't have to make tremendous contributions. We don't have to do anything. Yeah, you know, what what doesn't make sense in our culture today or what is counterintuitive to this is people are accepted based upon what they can offer a group. People are usually brought into a circle and loved based on what the other person is going to be able to get out of that relationship. Here we are introduced for the thousandth time that this is not the way God sees his relationship with us, that it is not for winners. It's not for the prestigious. It's not for the aristocrats. It is for all people who are willing to no longer pretend about who they are. Exactly. And and we go back to chapter two, and one of the facts that he pointed out is we need to learn to think big about God. We need to renew our minds and see ourselves as God sees us. And one of the points that he made was in uh, Numbers, I believe it was Numbers 13, when Moses sent the 12 uh, spies out and 10 came back and said, no way, you know, 83% of the 12 said, no, there's no way we can go in because, you know, these guys are too big for us. We can't do it. The other two, Joshua and Caleb said, yes, the Lord is with us. He's promised us this. This is something that we fail to understand is a negativity associated with how we see ourselves and the way God sees us. Because the difference in the 10 and the 2 was how they perceived themselves. The, the interesting factor is moving forward in this whole scenario of in numbers when they're positioned on ready to go into the promised land. God had promised them this. And how in the world could they forget what happened with the deliverance from Egypt through the wilderness, the manna, the water? Everything was provided by God. But yet they still didn't have the faith that God was with us. And I go back to, to David in, in Goliath. Here you have the whole Israeli army saying, oh, no, God, this guy is... This guy's super Superman. You know, we can't go up against him. And little David says, well, I got God on my side. Even as simple as that is, 
I, I think if we can boil it down to that and say, hey, you know, I am never, ever alone. And interesting, too, in Psalms 3 or 4, David says, you know, I can lay down to sleep like a baby because I know that God is with me. And if we approach every circumstance with that attitude, I think life would be a heck of a lot easier for us. Yeah, I agree. I agree. And I think much of the struggle and the tension we live into is we question God's love for us in certain moments, in certain moments, or the the width, the breadth, as Paul writes in Ephesians chapter three, to understand the depth, the width, the height, the length of God's of, of Christ's love for us. And then he goes into this benediction, almost a doxology right in the middle, now to him who is able to do immeasurably more than we could ever hope for or imagine. That's where we push back. We haven't let our heads and our minds and our hearts believe that God can do immeasurably more than we could ever imagine. We live in this squeamish place, wondering if God really is going to pull through if we have done enough. Unfortunately, there are times in my ministry where I have I have sat with people, men and women who are on their deathbed in their uh, moments, days, maybe a weeks away from death. And inevitably, the majority of those conversations go to this topic. I hope I've done enough. Right. And how unfortunate Look, I get it. We're broken. I don't want to take the humanity off of us or whatnot, but but that is unfortunate that that's the place where we end up still struggling whether or not God loves us. Again, in, in chapter two, he focused on the creation of the universe, and he went into specifics about the weight of the earth and things like that. And the whole point was to create a sensation of awe of the creator. If, if he created this and he created us, why would he abandon us? Why would he send his only son to pay for our sins and abandon us? It makes no sense. It makes no sense. The rational mind cannot understand that. So we have to get out of our own way. And that's why I think it's so, and I think Wesley said this too. He says, you cannot entertain spiritual growth without reading. You have to get involved in scripture. And if you get involved in scripture and spend time, it's like sitting down with you and talking about, talking things out. I mean, you are an educated theologian. I'm a church member. So you can teach me a lot about what you have been trained to do. And I can teach you a lot about what I've Absolutely. been trained to do. You probably don't care, but uh, <laughs> makes no sense. But my point is, if we listen to God, if we sit down and have a conversation with God, uh, whether it be morning, noon, or night, it doesn't make any difference. But spending that time to really get into His Word then I think these things will begin to come to light in the fact that we're all sinners, every one of us. Here we have been given a gift. We didn't have to earn it. We didn't do anything for it, but a gift of salvation. 
All we have to do is accept it as grace. And every day we are, we are fulfilled with grace and mercy. As we move into the third chapter, it's a very, very interesting chapter where Jesus is really focusing on the analogy of children. Here's how chapter three begins. What we believe as Christians is that God eternally exists in three distinct persons. The most visual of those uh, persons was the life of Jesus. Jesus walking amongst us, Jesus becoming, as Hebrews chapter 1 verse 2 says, the exact imprint or the exact character of God, or as Colossians chapter 1 verse 15 speaks on, is the visible image of the invisible God. He became incarnate, God-man, incarnate in our midst. And then the beautiful thing is what we see now is what Jesus is doing is he's living out before us this ministry of service, this servanthood, this ministry of acceptance, of spending time with the marginalized, being uh, ridiculed by the religious leaders, whether it's the Pharisees, the Zealots, the Sadducees, or the Essenes. He finds himself in a place where he is countercultural. I love how Brennan Manning says this. He says right there at the beginning of the chapter, in short, Jesus hung out with ragamuffins. Yeah. Those, those people that are marginalized and placed in lower levels of the caste system of, of the day. And then you have Jesus living out. And Jesus living this out becomes for us that old adage, a picture is worth more than a thousand words. Right. And so Jesus is living out in our midst this. And you mentioned he spends time not only with the marginalized, but with children. This is something I think uh, we all we all love children. Think about the the makeup of a child. There's absolutely no print pretense. And he he mentions a little kid knocks knocks on his door at, at, in the middle of the night, and he opens the door. Hey, Johnny, how are you doing? He says, "Where are the cookies?" <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it's it's like he's right to the point. Yeah, living in the present. Yeah, right now, I don't I don't care about the hellos and the goodbyes. Where are the cookies? <laughs> you know. So his point was is living in the present moment and with absolutely no pretense about what his mission was. He wanted to know where the cookies were. So and I think we can take a lesson from that. Brendan Manning says in page, on page 54, he says, when Jesus tells us to become like children, he is inviting us to forget what lies behind. That's right. And that's what Paul says. Yep. Paul says that in Philippians 3, I believe. Yep. Whatever we have done in the past, be it good or evil, great or small, is irrelevant to our stance before God today. I love that. John, that is an important factor. I think. So many people live in the past, whether good or bad. Right. Just like the, the conversations I would have, I hope I've done enough. Right. What are, what are our motives by the things that we do? What are we motivated to do? Why, why are we motivated to get involved with church activities? It is, a, is it sincere or is it for, you know, notice me, notice the contribution that I made? Notice the plaque on the wall. Mm. 
uh, things like that. That I, I don't mean to discount that, but the the core factor is what are the motives behind your actions. And I think he pointed out. He says, "Don't listen to what a man says. Watch what he does. Watch what he does. Watch what he does. Actions speak louder than words." And that's what Jesus illustrated for us. Yeah. Illustrating for us his life, his ministry. It was all based upon this foundation of service. He didn't, in Matthew chapter 20, he says, I did not come to be served, but to serve and to give my life as a ransom. Philippians chapter 2, he emptied himself. And in the likeness of humanity, he became a servant and humbled himself to obedience to even death on a cross. And so we have this model here that that's set out for us. But the child becoming like a child, the child was considered in first century of no importance. Yeah. He writes, the child uh, merited little attention The children had no status at all. They did not count. And so the child was regarded as as scorn. And so for the disciples, becoming like a child, it meant their willingness to accept themselves as being of little account and to be regarded as unimportant. And I think there's there's so much truth in that, not only with our relationship with other people, serving other people, but also in our relationship with God. I mean, we can always find ourselves at moments or we could be tempted to do this with our relationship with God and say, hey God, let me show Mm -hmm. you what I have in the bank. Right. So you owe me. You know, we always have to approach God with our emptiness. Did you go to Israel with us? Yes, Yes. you were there in Israel. And the only way that you could get into that area where the cross was is on your knees. Yeah, I remember that. And they did that on purpose. Yeah. You know, so we all approach the cross not as people who are wearing their accolades, their badges, their awards, carrying their totes of of accomplishments and possessions. We go empty-handed and kneel before the cross. That's right. You know, Jesus did away with, with the social register. He, he totally abolished the distinction between the elite and the ordinary, or the ragamuffins, if you would. And we see time and time again in Scripture, in the Gospels, where he is having lunch with Matthew or Zacchaeus. Oh, that's a wonderful, wonderful, wonderful story. story. Wonderful story. And he was consistently criticized by the Pharisees and the elite. Why are you, are you a glutton? Why are you doing this? And it's no different from today. Because he mentioned a very good point, and he goes back years ago in the South, and I can remember, I can relate to this. There was a caste system in the South in the 40s and 50s, and, and I grew up in, that, in the 50s and 60s, and I, and I understand what he, he meant there. You didn't have dinner with the, with the black community. You didn't do that. And I remember back in history when um, I believe it was uh, Teddy Roosevelt invited some some black ministers in the White House, and man, he got scorned. Mm. He said, "I don't care what you what you say. We're all God's children, and we have to come to that realization." I read this. Um, it says, 
one way to keep our relationship with others as Jesus did, say to yourself, that person is perfect in Christ. You know, there's so much truth in that. And when you read that, my mind goes back to youth ministry days. And we're taking a group of youth to Philadelphia. And on this, uh, this, this mission, we would spend time with the street folks who found themselves uh, strung out on drugs or right. uh, prostituting themselves or, or whatnot. And, and we would spend time ministering to them in the mornings, just when they were coming off their night of high and, and hungover. There was a little bit of fear in our group. Sure. We had teenagers, high schoolers, and adults, and there were other churches there too. And I remember the leader saying this, just see Jesus in them. That's right. See them as people that Jesus died for. In the big scheme of things, in our faith and our relationship with God, we all approach the cross on level ground. We do. On page uh, 59, he said, status seekers today are selective about their dinner guests and make elaborate preparations. And then in the end, he said, then they anxiously await the morning mail to see if their dinner invitation is reciprocated. They do it so that they might get invited back. And that is so true. Now, what happens in those situations where... Uh, an act of grace or an act of blessing is given to you by someone else and you can't reciprocate. Do you feel, do you feel anxious about receiving it? Do you feel anxious about allowing someone to do something for you that you know you can't pay back? I mean, we, we live in this, this society of, of reciprocating. We want to right. even the scales, right? I remember my, um, my last year of seminary, we had one more semester to pay for. And I remember my dad taking me aside back in 2008. And he said, John, your mom and I want to be a blessing to you. And, and we want to pay for your last semester of seminary. And I'm, and I pushed back. I, I really did. I, I, I pushed back. I said, dad, I'm, you know, I'm, I have my own family now and I have my own responsibilities and things like that. I said, dad, I, 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 I no, you don't have it. He says, John, your mother and I want to do this. I said, dad, I could never pay you back. He said, John, let your mother and I do this. Do not take away the blessing of being a blessing. Right. And I have never forgotten that. Right. Right. I have never forgotten that. That was one of the lived out parables, an earthly story with a heavenly meaning that I have not forgotten that has guided me. I wish it had guided me more in different situations, but it has guided me to see clearly my place in God's eyes. I approach God saying the exact same, God, you, you, you don't have to say, I can't pay you back. And God says, exactly, exactly. You see, what is the undoing of this ragamuffin gospel is the, the danger that we see our good works, our spiritual investments, and all the rest of it as a way of constructing a picture of ourselves where we see so much self-worth and complacency 
As Brendan Manning writes, complacency then replaces the sheer delight of God's unconditional love. And our doing becomes the very undoing of the ragamuffin gospel. Right. You mentioned something a while ago that just triggered an old memory years ago. I was uh, blessed to have two Christian parents that were very, very involved in, in the church and grew up in a Christian home where the Bible was the gospel. I never shall forget my mother saying to me one time, Tommy, let others see Jesus in you. I have never forgotten that. Mm. And when you really think about that, all this stuff that Manning is talking about here comes to light because we are to model Christ. Let others see Jesus in you. And I go back to, I think it was in maybe Luke, where Jesus was talking about if you have a lamp, don't put it under a bushel. Right. Let it shine. There's a little song, let it shine, let it shine. And I go back and I thank God every night for my parents because they provided a solid foundation that is, it took a long time to realize that foundation sometimes because we kind of tend to go astray, you know. And uh, I'm no different than a lot of other people about that. But in the end, it comes back and, and you go back and you think about things that your mom and dad taught you, the values that they taught you. Going through Mother's Old Bible, right. it was all little notes. Yeah. Little notes. And it's, I still got them. I still have those notes. And God, st- and God had preserved them for you. Yeah. God had preserved them for you. I'll tell you a quick story. Sure. A per, this is a personal story. I've told it a lot of times, and I hadn't, hadn't thought about it until I read this chapter. I grew up in this little town, and there was a family that had about six boys in the family. And each boy had a different daddy. And their mother was a prostitute, and she would leave. I didn't know this at the time. I was too young to understand what was happening. Right. But one little boy was uh, about a year younger than, than me, and he had a nickname. And it was not a very endearing nickname, but everybody called him that. And I never will forget my mother dragging me aside one day, and she says, his name is not that his name is Alan and don't you ever let me hear you call him that again well make a long story short when I went off to college Alan was failing in high school he had no father and his mother was gone sometimes months at a time and it was a sad situation Hmm. my father went to the principal at the high school and said look this kid is failing and I'm gonna take him in and I'm going to make sure that he does what he needs to do to graduate from high school, whatever it takes. He has a place he's going to live in my house, and he did. And I didn't understand what they were doing at the time. But that kid graduated from high school and went in the Navy and went to the officer's training school. Graduated and married a, a, a very nice lady in Virginia, in Norfolk, and that's where he was stationed. And he comes back every Christmas, every Mother's Day, every birthday from my mother and dad. There was flowers on their grave 
from him. And he was so grateful for them. But that, to me, resonated when we're talking about my mother and father reached down, and they were criticized from doing this, and brought this kid into the room that I, I grew up in, and he graduated. I never shall forget that, and I never shall forget my mother saying, his name is Alan, and don't you ever let me hear you call him anything else. He is a child of God. In the community, he was a ragamuffin. He was a ragamuffin, a big-time ragamuffin. It's amazing the way God changes family trees and futures through simple acts of love, acceptance, forgiveness. You see, the, the ragamuffin gospel is all about Jesus forgiving sins. It's about the the sins that include sins of the flesh. It's about Jesus being comfortable with sinners and the outcasts. But where the where there is a a diversion from this is with people who pretend when it comes to their faith. Right. And know that we are called to be servants and yet do nothing. We talk about it. Right. We study it. We might even memorize scripture about it. We'll form small groups and we'll encourage each other to learn more about it. But it never, it never moves past those walls and even the walls of our heart to see what it might look like when this compassion, this love, this acceptance, this presence of God that when we enter places that, that it could be for the grocery clerk or the greeter at the department store or the person that is fixing your air conditioning or putting a new belt on your car or the nurse who is uh, taking your um, vitals in a doctor's office. Always be ready to give an answer for the hope you have. Always be ready. John, uh, I'm not sure where it appears in Jesus's ministry, but didn't he say, if you have done this to the least of these, you have done it to me? That's right. It's in Matthew chapter 24, 25, 26, right in that area. So I think we have to have an open mind of self-reflection too. There's this open That's mind to to look at our to look honestly right. at our hearts. Right. That is so critical because you and Shane both focus on reflection. And the whole season of Lent was reflective, a reflective time. Do we do we take the time to do that? Because maybe we did something in the past that we are ashamed of. But that was all nailed to the cross. Amen. It, it was nailed to the cross, and it, it was crucified with, with Christ. And that's the joy of the salvation. Tommy, what would it be like if we were like John Dyer, his, that little boy, yeah, who comes into the room, and Brennan says, well, hey, John, with a sneer and a cowboy kind of uh, voice, give me the cookies. Yeah. That is the example of living in the present. What what would it mean for us today if for the next five days, if the next week or so, we actually looked 
at the present, that we're not, you know, we're not accepted by God because of what we have done or what we will do, not what we bring to the table, what we will be able to do in the future. But right now, at this moment, in this second, we today, at that moment, are accepted and loved by God. I mean, that is revolutionary. That is revolutionary. Please, friends, if you're listening and um, and no matter when, I mean, you could be listening to this years after we have recorded these. And I, I just want to just encourage you that just for a moment, get away from technology, get away from the hustle and bustle, turn the radio off and just sit and reflect at this moment today this second you are loved by god and that jesus died for you that's our prayer that the kingdom of god will be at hand in your life so may it be amen